what's new, Nate? What's new is, as this is airing, I am spending time with my wife, sort of newlywed, although we've been married for a year and couldn't celebrate until uh, this year because of COVID issues. Third time's the charm, right? I mean, that's kind of the way we, we do things around here. So, so through the magic of radio and podcasting world, we have managed to record this while you are in newly wedded bliss a year and a week into your yeah. marriage. One, one year anniversary bliss. How about that? There you go. Dan Daniels is back with us. Dan, how are you, buddy? Just weeding through the kids and work thing, like always for me, and kind of getting like really looking forward to summertime just to get a little bit of break in that action. So excited about the summer with Dan. I don't know if we've got some more people I'm about to introduce, but I don't know if everybody knows Dan has about 37 kids. <laughs> so they, they've had a, they've had three kids a year for several years. It feels like so when he talks about getting ready for summer, that means he's him and his wife are just not going to see each other. They're going to be passing each other, going to dance and fishing and everything else under the sun. It just takes the a little bit of the everyday workout when we don't have to like be out the door by seven fifteen a.m. or seven a.m. dropping kids off, starting their day. So it's like. The fact that we could actually possibly sleep in till, you know, a number that most people would think was ungodly is a win. Todd Waldron is back. I don't think Todd has been here since last year when we did the historical hunters draft. Todd Waldron, how are you, buddy? I am great, Travis. It is so good to be here with everybody and things up here in New York are going pretty good. Uh, today, it was probably 75. Uh, it's May. You know, we were still in turkey season, um, but when this airs, we'll be done with turkey season. But uh, life's good. Having fun. You you moved since last year when we talked. You've taken a new position with a new organization. You want to tell folks about that? I would. Um, I am glad to have joined Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society earlier this year as Forest Conservation Director for the Northeast. And super excited to be there working on forest conservation. Uh, when it comes to forest wildlife, habitat diversity and mosaics are really key, especially in the East. And so that's what we're all about. We're just uniting conservationists around sustainable forestry and habitat diversity and wildlife. And I'm loving it. And I'm working with a bunch of great people. If folks in Florida want to learn more about Rough Grouse Society, where can they find it? Roughgrousesociety.org is a good place to go. And there is a, a really good community of rough grouse conservationists up in uh, like north of Florida, up into Georgia, up into the Blue Ridge and Appalachians and all the public lands in Western North Carolina, all the way up through the Southern Apps, uh, East Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia. Uh, it's it's a great place for grouse. Nate, you did, you guys did a film or something with rough grouse last year, didn't you? Yeah, and, uh, so Project Upland, in partnership with the Rough Grouse Society, put on a public grouse film festival. And the Georgia chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers did a film showing of that down in Thomasville, which is a kind of a big classic upland game area. There aren't any grouse down there, but it's a, it's a very classic area. We do have a few grouse up in the North Georgia mountains, not as many as we would like. We would like to work with some, you know, the forest service and different and, you know, rough grouse society to try to get some more uh, forest management going up there to hopefully boost some of those populations. But uh, they're up there. They're few and far between, but they're up there. Very cool stuff. Glad to be here tonight. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And then same as last year when we did Historical Hunters, we had my good friend Bill Cooksey on the episode. Bill Cooksey is back, and I saw him shaking his head about Thomasville, Georgia. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, man, the, the that is Quail Central. I mean, Thomasville, Georgia, and the Ames Plantation in Tennessee are like, you know, the historic places for quail in this country. I mean, Texas is obviously these days the place to go to hunt them, but... Uh, you know, and even today, Sally Sullivan and, and the folks down around Thomasville have had, all, had these plantations and managed them. It's fantastic. Uh, even Jimmy Buffett, I think, quail hunts down there and, and keeps a place leased. He's into quail hunting, believe it he, or not. He can probably afford to do that. Cooksey, you are with uh, <laughs> Vanishing Paradise. Remind folks, or what's going on with Vanishing Paradise? You've told about it on the episode before, but, but what, what's going on with you guys lately? Oh, man, uh, we're back on the road. And thank goodness, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just went down to Florida, saw you down there and, and some other great folks. And obviously, y'all talk about the Florida stuff all the time. So I'm not going to go deep into it. But uh, in Louisiana, we're working on, you know, the coastal master plan and the Mid-Barataria Mid sediment diversion. And that's a $1.4 plus billion dollar project to start restoring that delta um, where we're still losing a football field of land every hundred minutes. Where can folks find out more about Vanishing Paradise? Vanishingparadise.org. That's the sportsman's it's arm of the National Wildlife Federation. Correct. Correct. We, we handle, you know, it's mostly coastal right now, but uh, all along the Gulf coast uh, from the Texas, Mexico border, all the way to the keys We're we're working on it with sports. And, and you guys have, and, and, I had a great trip and glad to glad to see you in Florida recently uh, for some some cool stuff. Oh man, it's it's, it's great getting back out. Yeah, you know, touch on rough grouse, woodcock, and what we're doing tonight. The first woodcock I ever saw, I was standing next to the guy over your right shoulder on this Zoom call. Yeah, Gene, Gene Hill is the picture. I didn't know what it was. Gene Hills is over my shoulder. And actually, Bill gave me this this print over my shoulder here uh, a while back, and I, I got it framed. I've had it for a, a while now from a fishing trip Bill Bill and I went on. And uh, Gene Hill will come up later in this episode, I believe. There's a good chance. Probably so. I mean, I've, I've got him on my list, but he's not my first round. <laughs> we, why do we have all these people here? That's the question that I'm thinking people, if they're still listening at this point, are asking. And the reason is we decided, and we talked about doing this last year, and I can't believe we waited a year, and we're not going to wait a year before we do another one of these. We'll, we'll try to do some of these more, more um, regularly. But <laughs> we decided we were going to do a draft of outdoor books. And so in classic Cast and Blast Florida fashion, how do we do it, Nate? The Cast and Blast Florida first annual, annual, first annual inaugural outdoor book draft. For the cure. For the cure. Or the cure. Um, and so we we asked Todd and Bill if they'd join us. We we recruited Dan uh, for whatever he was doing because, like I said, 37 kids. And so we got um, – we drew straws backstage beforehand. If you've listened, never listened to us before, these are like fantasy football-style drafts. We are going to go uh, – we're not doing serpentine. We're just doing a regular draft style. So we drew straws backstage. Nate got the first pick. So the order is going to be Nate's going to go first, then Bill Cooksey, then Todd Waldron, then Dan Daniels, then me. We're going to try to make it through four rounds and see if this falls apart somewhere in between there. And when we get done, if there's some we didn't discuss, we'll have our, our undrafted free agents that we will mention there at the end and kind of tag them on. But we just thought we all, this group, all really loves outdoor writing, reading. It's been a passion of ours. Bill and I, every time we get together, we talk about it. Todd, I know I've seen you share so much stuff on social media from, from great writers that I love and read. And then last year when we talked about historical hunters, 
we got we started getting into hunters because they were riders that we were familiar with and i man it was just kind of a natural thing so we're going to be picking books the criteria i gave these characters was outdoor books so you could interpret that however you want if you if if it's a ecology book from your from your college days it's fair game if it's a kid's book it's fair game if it's some in-depth hunting or fishing or whatever book it's fair game so with all of that said, Nate, you are the first pick in the 2021 outdoor book draft. What do you got, buddy? Well, uh, it's going to be really hard to pick just one, especially having the first pick. There's so many excellent choices, and it's really, really hard to kind of just wrap your head around one of these. But I think for my first one, we're going to go classic, and I'm going to go required reading for anyone who wants to be a conservationist, period. And it's the Sand County Almanac by... Aldo Leopold. I'm sure this was on everybody's list. This is just like, it's, if you don't pick it first, it's like, what are you doing with your life? So I had it on my list. I had to pick it first. It is a masterclass of conservation, uh, wildlife, like deep thought, you know, slash practical stuff. I mean, it's just, it's an excellent, excellent book about, you know, about conservation and how to properly manage land and manage animals sand county almanac so nate i think that's a great i mean it talking about putting a book out there on the first round first round draft pick sand county almanac aldo leopold is amazing so i think that's a solid choice to lead out this conversation and uh it doesn't surprise me that you let out with that one it's uh it is a classic uh cooksy where's that on, on it had to be somewhere on your list maybe further down but because i know you really love the southern riders but that's that's one that everybody talks about right uh, it, it, it's required reading you know uh, when we're talking potentially just four picks of outdoor books that's not in my top four but if four is all you're going to read of outdoor books then you shouldn't be listening right now anyway <laughs> and uh you know I, I i have it i've read it a half dozen times and, and if you haven't and don't shame on you and I think there will probably be a lot of books we do that with in this. <clears throat> I bought it in paperback form. I'm pretty sure I missed a lot of game that year because I basically went on reading sessions when it was first exposed to me during my hunting trips. No lie. I mean, I was looking forward to going into the woods so I could have time to read that book. It, it was that powerful. I mean, I, I don't know anything I've ever said. And when you're sitting in the woods reading that book, I think it had just like, an extra formative impact on me. I'm going to give you a terribly disingenuous pro tip that's not meant to be disingenuous. It's really authentic. But anytime you go to speak at a wildlife commission meeting or a conservation type meeting, you can basically put in a topic that you're talking about and an Aldo Leopold quote yes. in, in Google, and you can come back with a really good quote that will fit into what you're about to go. Unbelievable. Through. Almost everything fits because he's thought yeah. about things from angles that were new at the time, but unbelievable. You said that, Travis, and it, I, I recalled when I was a magazine editor for several years, I led every one of my editorial, you know, that I led the magazine off with, I started it with a quote, a historical quote of some kind, and, and probably be a lot of people we mentioned tonight who I utilized at some point. Out of Leopold, I guarantee, if you went back through them, was number one. <laughs> you I guarantee it. I'm going to say something controversial a little bit here before we let Bill make the second pick. 
Nate, that's probably the best pick you've ever made in a draft ever. In ah, whoa, <laughs> dang, whoa. that is uh, that's big time. That's like, yeah, wow. I've gone first. I've gone first in like every draft, and that's my best first round pick. So I, that's a compliment. Thank you. All right, Mr. Cooksey, you are on the clock with the second pick. Who you got? Well, you're killing me because he just picked Peyton Manning. <laughs> um, okay, th- this one, I'm going to go with Robert Ruark and the old man and the boy. Good one. Because I don't care if you are 70 years old or nine years old, this book tells you what you should be as a sportsman, a conservationist, a child, a husband, a father, a exactly. And, and you can go on and the old man's boy grows older and that sort of thing. But it's a, it's a masterpiece. If you haven't read it, you should, if you have children, read it to them. I used to read it to Bill when he was, you know, five, six years old. That was one of the books we would read at night. And he, you know, he appreciated it and still does. I, I read Harry Potter to my son. And when we finished the Harry Potter series, we read, a, a book that'll come up later tonight and then we read the old man and the boy and then we read the old man and the boys grows grows up and there's literally not a section of those books that aren't quotable and i don't know quotes but Correct. when the old man is passing dying and he's talking to the boy about his life and how not to be sad and when they talk about dogs and when they talk about being rich and what it means to be rich and like just so much of those books are like so applicable still to this day like they're words of wisdom even leaving some from for seed when he especially with quail that's one of them where they really talk about uh you know the conservation ethic uh you have to leave some for seed and you have to leave some peas for them to eat you have to you know all these things they do which now we're learning more and more my god we just haven't done this in too many places and too many things todd have you have you read the old man and the boy confession time i have not read it i tell you what i have read several hundred outdoor books and that's been on my list for a while and so it's given me some motivation to put it up a little bit higher and so everybody that i've talked to that have read that book says the same thing that cooksey just said and so um thanks bill i'm i'm glad for the nudge and i'll put it on the list and i'll read it soon you know, that's one thing I really like about having guys from different geograph- ge- geographical areas is Bill grew up in California and the Deep South. And, and Nate and I kind of grew up Polk County, Florida. Dan's from Florida, but it's a different little perspective. And, and Todd, you have a different perspective because you grew up in the Northeast. Like it's, so it really kind of brings some things into perspective. A book we think is like, obviously it is on, on the bookshelf most places, but geographically it, it probably has a, a tighter hold in the Southeast than it does anywhere else. I, I would say absolutely. But here, here's another thing I'll say about Ruark, not just that book, but I would put him as someone who loves literature in the top five writers the U.S. has ever produced. I, I would agree with that. He's, he's incredible. All right, Mr. Waldron, you are on the clock with the third pick. Started out strong, so you're up. All right, Travis. So I, I have to say that I was going to go with an Aldo Leopold book that was different than San County Almanac for my first pick. Um, I think I've got another pick, though, for the first pick. Um, so the, the one I was going to go with Aldo Leopold was called Toward a Durable Scale of Values, which is his perspectives on forestry and conservation by Kurt Main and Jed Munier. And it has some incredible essays like Conservation in Whole and Part. And um, 
it's a, it's it, I'm tempted to go with that on number one, but I'm not gonna. I'm just mentioning it um, because it complements what Nate was saying with Sand County Almanac. Read it, folks. It's worth it. You can get it at saf.net, the Society of American Foresters. Um, the book I'm gonna go with isn't necessarily like a literature classic, but the guy was amazing. And it's a, an important book to have, I think, for hunters and anglers. And this guy was born in Cairns, Texas in 1928. And uh, in the 1950s, he wrote for the Houston Chronicle. He almost won a Pulitzer Prize for reporting on Hurricane Carla. And uh, Bob Brister, who went on to work for Field and Stream, wrote this book called Shotgunning, uh, The Art and Science, which technically is a, an incredible book. It's like full of information. And so it is like on my list of, of books that I have read several times. I love it. Everything you want to know about shotguns is in that book. And that guy like was he, he raced speedboats. He did saltwater fishing. Uh, the guy was a Renaissance kind of person and he did it all. And he, and he really excelled at it. And so art, the shotgunning art and science, Bob Brister, I'm going to go with that with the draft and saying it's a good book for everybody to have on their shelf. I'm familiar with that book. I'm familiar with Brister and, you know, his work on, you know, steel shot and, and everything we're doing today. I mean, he, he's just, he was not only a great writer, but his analysis of things that have helped us to forward through the last 50 or 60 years is immense and, and if you go out and shoot a bird this fall you probably should thank bob brister because something in what you've done in, in what you've used came through him it, that's a, that's an incredible pick todd that was a, that was a that was not one i was expecting you to go with and i'm really glad you did because i like the i like the technical books like they're they're a little different a little interesting so that was a, that was a really strong pick Mr. Daniels, Dan Daniels. I'm excited this one's here and it's a little bit obscure. And I was just thinking, we don't have much of the West represented in our, you know, traditional West. So this is a perfect pick because I don't have any, you know, tied to that, except now I've been kind of going out there for elk hunts. But uh, I'm going to just break out this guy right here and hunting trips of a ranchman by the late, great Teddy Roosevelt. My wife bought this for me unsolicited. It's just one of those perfect gifts. I go to it anytime. It's one of the most odd reads because it's uh, autobiographical and then it's like a field guide and then it's like a storybook and it's all in one book. And it just chapter by chapter goes through things almost like if he was uh, conscripted by somebody to say, hey, tell me about mule deer and you're going to get it or tell me about whitetail and you're going to get it. And I had never read Teddy before he, he can write, he is an author. I mean, it's amazing. And I, I mean, I'm just jealous of that dude. I'll be honest about it. He's got it all, you know? Um, so that's what I'm going with. I'm glad it wasn't picked. Uh, that's a good pick. And you say, if you want to hear about mule deer, which he calls blacktail in that book, I believe it, he will tell you an excruciating long winded detail. I mean, it is like you're trudging through that chapter. I remember reading that chapter being like, is this chapter ever going to end? I mean, it's good and it's great, but it's like 60 pages long or something. And I'm like, what is going on? But that's a great pick. It's such a great book about and it. It just rolls through like the different, you know, the different animals out there. And it's just, uh, it's, it's really good. Nate, you're so right. But I'm going to tell you something. 
you know how hunting stories are. <laughs> oh yeah. I got, I got the okie doke in basically open land, um, um, setting out West by probably a 200 class mule deer. And I read that chapter again because that labor through that became so much more real <laughs> than talking about those, those blacktail. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still one of the most Houdini things any animal has ever done to me in my entire life. I, I am going to, before I make my pick, I have not read that book. I know Nate it's, it's on his shelf. I think he read it last year or the summer before maybe, because we try to do one of these reading discussions every summer because people go to the beach, they got vacation time. You should find time to read, but I am going to interject here and say for a long time, Todd Waldron did East it was East to West was the, the podcast you did, Todd, and it's still out there with tons of resources from going from the East to go out West and hunt. Still, that's still up, right? It's still up. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have, although we don't have a Western representative, we do have a, a, uh, a good library of, of Western representation. How about that? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I was talking more, more about like uh, birthing. Oh, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> so someone literally from the West. Right. Okay, so I can go, all of my picks are still on the board, and I'm going to go with one that I'm going to guess none of you have read because I think it's out of print, but it is the Randy Wayne White Ultimate Tarpon book. And the, the reason I'm picking it is I'm cheating at this game a little bit. Um, Randy Wayne White is, uh, he's a fiction writer in Florida. He's, he's really well known for the, uh, for, for writing a series of like mysteries that are kind of woven. They're almost like fictional history. And um, Sanibel Flats, I think, was the first one. I'm not sure about that. I haven't read all the, the fiction books. I'm not really a fiction guy. But he's best known for that. He lives in Sanibel, Florida, Sanibel Island. And he compiled, as a writer, he compiled the ultimate Tarpon book. And so it's like an anthology. It's got McQueen in it. It's got Roosevelt in it. It's got Joe Brooks in it. It's got Zane Gray in it. It's got Edison in it. Like it's got Thomas Edison, the light bulb guy. Like it's got all these, it's got <laughs> columns or, or articles that all these people wrote about tarpon fishing over the history of tarpon fishing. So it's like this, this book that you can pick up at any time. You don't have to be immersed in it and read it in, you know, sequential order or anything else. But it is such a great book that I feel like should be on anyone, particularly if we got a heavy Florida audience, should be on anyone's bookshelf. And uh, I actually loaned my hard co copy away to someone several years back. And I found one, a, a paperback for $5 at a, at a thrift store not very long ago. And I picked it up and I'm pretty stoked about that. So anyway, my first pick, Randy Wayne White's and, and Randy Wayne White is still alive. He's still an active hunter and everything. I, I think we're either Facebook friends or I follow him on Facebook or something like he's a guy, but it's like, man, this, this anthology is just so good because it's all the stuff we love about the writers that Tom McQueen and those guys that we Vic Dunaway from Florida sportsman, all these people we kind of grew up emulating and, and idolizing their writing are encapsulated in this book. And so that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I tell you what, it's pretty strong to come in there with something you figure none of us have ever read. And in my case, you'd be correct. And it's killing me because that usually doesn't happen, but, but you got me. So I've got to hit it. Yeah. That's a power move by Travis right there. <laughs> He's just going to recommend the book that nobody can get. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. this is a great book. Sorry. 
Uh, don't try to find it on Amazon. Not going to be there. You can still get it on Amazon. You're just going to pay a premium for it. Um, Nate, you are up with round two of of outdoor books. What do, what do you first off? How'd you feel about round one? Because I felt like that was a strong round. Strong. One. Like I don't know how we're going to top that. And uh, you're not supposed to top the first round though, right? I mean, because that's kind of the way drafts work. I'm going to go a little more Florida centric with my next book, and I'm going to go historical fiction. We've talked about this book a lot. I this is my favorite, probably my favorite book of all time, uh, especially fiction. Um, but it's A Land Remembered by Patrick D. Smith. And if you care about Florida, if you want to learn more about Florida history, this should be required reading for anyone moving to Florida. So the six or seven or 40,000 people a day that are moving down there should all get one of those at the border and read it. But it's a, it's a fiction book about uh, a fictional family who comes down from Georgia and settles in the mid-1800s and their life up until about the 19, I think it ends in the sixties. And it's about Florida development and how it started and cattle ranching and orange and farming and all the stuff that goes along with all that. Ever, it talks about the Everglades a lot and the Seminoles. Excellent, excellent book. Go read it. Go. It, it's like, a, it's pretty easy read. It's not like super heady or anything like that, but it's just very, very good. So if you haven't read it, you should be required to read it. If you live in the state of Florida. Dan, have you read it? I'm going to ask you. Yeah, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to claim him. Patrick D. Smith, the author, longtime resident of Merritt Island, Florida. He also wrote a book called Angel City about a town here that uh, is spooky about migrant farming, and uh, it was a social commentary about that. Um, Nate, I mean, it's almost like you forget it's a regional thing. Um, I'm surprised. I really am shocked that it never made the rounds at a national level with a recognition. I really am. It's, it's that good. I'm surprised there's not a that, movie that, about it somewhere along the line. I, I know. know. And it's got to happen someday. You know, it's got to, ha- it's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to put Todd on the spot and I'll put Bill on the spot. Todd, have, are you familiar with this book at all? Oh, I'm not. And so this is the wonderful part of this whole conversation in terms of just picking up new ideas for reading books, because it sounds so good. And being up here in the Northeast, um, there's so much I miss on a regional level. Like I've, I've got similar situations, similar books I could recommend about the Northeast where people don't know about uh, similar kinds of stories. So I'm all over it. I'm going to put it on my list. I, I remember last year during the historical hunters draft, you actually gave us a hunter that was like a Apple or a, a, a New York area deer hunter that was like legendary. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I remember you talking about a regional guy and I'd never heard of him. I made notes and went and did research after the, after that draft because of the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Um, So just having those conversations and sharing stories and, you know, there's a lot of great folks and great books out there to share. That's what it's all about. Cooksey, before you make your pick, uh, are are you familiar with, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but have you ever read A Land Remembered? No, and, and and I'm going to say between now and the time this airs, um, I really think each of us should come up with with about, in addition to the books we talk about tonight, about five more books, and let's put a, a list together that can can go up with the podcast of suggested reading. Great idea, yeah. Um, because I'll go through it and pick out books I haven't I'm I'm always looking for things I haven't read but we get in a rut 
We're just getting I, I, and I'm keeping track of our list right now. So I'll try to go through Amazon and put a link to all of these someplace so we can, we can have them all compiled. If anybody wants to go find one of these, we'll make it really easy for them. You, I, I will too. Like there's stuff I'm missing and I'll, I'll go, I'll go get it. Uh, you are on the clock now with your second pick. Who do you have, Bill? Uh, this one, I, I, I look, people are going to notice my picks are going old. Uh, I'm generally going to pick people from the early part of the 20th century, maybe even before. I probably won't go back to Isaac Walton, but but I'm going to go back because I, I listen to folks today and I watch them online and they think sky busting is new. They think people who call too loud or something new or, yeah, and, and they were doing it in the 1920s and the 1880s. Um, so my next pick, it has to be Nash Buckingham and the shooting is gentlemen. That's a classic. I mean, the, a duck call in the in the hands. What is it? A duck call in the hands of the unskilled is conservation's greatest yep. asset. <laughs> but then, you know, the same man also said uh, the best retriever is a three-inch <laughs> magnum, and the best long-range load is a good retriever, which doesn't <laughs> really jive. Uh, but he is one of our greatest storytellers to to come out of the south. Um, and to come out of this country, and, and you do have to kind of get used to the dialect because he will write in dialect for every character in his book, from hardcore Southern genteel accents to Yankees who come down as guests to hunt to you know the the African Americans who who paddled boats and hunted with them and, and cooked for them and all, and, and he loved all these people and, and everything about the stories is so genuine and you learn what it was like. His father was a civil war officer. And, and in that book, I mean, he goes all the way from that in short stories to uh, about 19, I think 24 was when it was published. I may be mistaken. And that was one of the things I wanted to go back and look and I didn't, um, but it, it, it hits it all. And you learn so much about the history of hunting, fishing. Um, and it's not just in the South. He goes out West. He hunts in Montana, Canada, catches tarpon off the Texas jetties. You know, I mean, in the 1910s. If Nash you know, Buckingham were alive today, he would be like the biggest social media influencer that there ever was because he, mm. he, he really truly did it all. And he did it all before people did it all. Like, like back then, it was your, right. it was your Roosevelt's, right? right? That, that It was a man that had a, the, the ability and privilege to be able to go and do it. He was the first, in my mind, the first writer that really went everywhere and did everything. He, he, he went everywhere, did everything. And, and when we say that, he went for several years. He lived in Washington, D.C. and was on Winchester Olin's payroll to lobby Congress for conservation especially in waterfowl he was instrumental in most of the migratory bird treaty act and then the things that followed and banning baiting and and restricting magazines and all of these things he he was right there at the forefront of it and in the meantime he killed more birds than most of us have yeah, ever yeah he probably killed more birds by the time he's 25 than most of us have ever seen uh Todd, that's a that's another strong pick you're going to follow up so let's let's let, let's go what, what do you got here well, first, I'm going to say that's a tough pick to follow after. Nash Buckingham's amazing. 
And not only was he a great outdoor writer, but he also played football for Tennessee. Actually, I read one time he was uh, one of the captains. He was tackle on the volunteers. So for all the SEC fans love football, you know, he was into all of it. So um, he was all around pretty good. Um, so my pick, I think on round number two, I'm going to move away from the technical and this is an outdoor book. It, it's going old school and it's not even necessarily a hunting and fishing book, but it, it's an incredible story. I'm a big Stephen Ambrose fan and his book Undaunted Courage is actually is, is amazing. And so he chronicles the Lewis and Clark um, expedition out west um, from like 1802 to 1805 or whenever it was. And the story is incredible. And it includes a lot of incredible hunting stories in terms of people like George Drewyard, for instance, and what they ate and the game that they saw on the Great Plains. Like as they're going up the Missouri River and they spend the winter in North Dakota and Teddy Roosevelt's country, Mandan, and then they keep going up the river into Montana. And then eventually they, you know, they get to Idaho and the Bitterroots. The chronicles of what they ate and the elk on the plains and everything else was amazing. Another person that was on that expedition that people might not know is John Coulter, who was the first person to see Yellowstone of European descent. And for everybody that might want to know about John Coulter, he is of the Coulter's run fame. Of, uh, and that's an incredible story, too. So that that book's got it all. It's got adventure. It's got hunting and fishing. It's got what life was like with animals on the Great Plains in the early 1800s. And uh, it's told by Stephen Ambrose, who is one of the best writers out there. Well, I'll tell you my favorite Stephen Ambrose book, Travis, is, uh, is a book called Band of Brothers uh, about the 1944. Uh, yes, okay, that's where I knew that. 100, 101st Airborne uh-huh. Division, Company Easy. So he's like a historian that wrote a lot of books. He wrote a book about, I think it might've been, it was either Eisenhower or it was um, maybe McGovern. I don't remember, but like general historian, but book Undaunted Courage, go back and check that out and see what it would have been like. Put yourself in that situation in the early 1800s, going up the Missouri River, biggest watershed in the, you know, in North America. And like just the game, the, you know, the, the life-threatening perils, what the country was like. Um, it's a book worth reading. And I think people that love the outdoors would like it. He, he's the guy that wrote things, the things they carried uh, about the Vietnam war and the, and the things that the men had on them in the Vietnam war. Um, and band of brothers, fantastic book. That that's excellent. Mini series too. If you're going to watch something on Wait, HBO, watch that. These millennials so going straight good. to the TV show. The other, the other uh, tidbit I'm going to point out here, and hopefully he doesn't mind me asking it, Cooksey, aren't you related to one of the Lewis and Clark people? Yes, Meriwether Lewis. Uh, it, had I been born a girl, my name would have been Elizabeth Meriwether Cooksey. And, and he was somehow great, 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 great uncle in there and, you know, definitely a, a relation I'm not going to claim he was like my paternal great, 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 great grandfather. That's incredible, Bill, because I'm a huge Lewis fan. And uh, one of my bucket list things is to check out the Natchez Trace. And so William Clark went on to be like governor of Missouri Territory and had a big political career. Uh, Meriwether Lewis had an interesting lifestyle going up to it. He, He was good friends with Jefferson. 
you know, Thomas Jefferson put him on that because he was one of his protégés, um, tragic end. But Natchez Trace in Tennessee and Mississippi is like, I would just love to go down there and check that country out. There's a lot of history there. So I, I, I today coming back from where I was moving, I, I crossed the Natchez Trace about 30 miles south of that point where we're talking about. And, and that's probably indicative of, he really is an ancestor of mine because he was obviously very much a loose cannon um, and had plenty of issues. So, you know, we're, we're, we're right there together on that. Dan Daniels, um, who are you related to that's famous? And what is your pick? Quick answers. Nobody (laughs) on that, but uh, maybe, maybe it's out there, but I, I, you know, I didn't have this on my list until I was talking to Todd Waldron pre-show and he brought up Blacksburg, Virginia and made me think of this area. And this was a book that I actually had heard about through a podcast, maybe a couple of years ago that I, I actually grabbed to read on a summer. And I don't know if we'll hit this area specifically regionally. So I think it'll fit because I got some Florida stuff to tie into Nate's here pretty soon too. But the, this book's called Follow the River by James Alexander Thom. It's a basically a fictionalized but historical fiction story about Mary Inglis, but Mary Draper Ingalls, Inglis, who was possibly the first European women, woman to set foot west of the Mississippi River. And uh, she basically got captured in a raid by the Shawnee um, and, in essence, was kind of abducted into slavery goes through a little bit of Stockholm syndrome type of thing. And some of this is speculation, but she ended up walking all the way back to Radford, Virginia on the new river where possibly no European had ever, had ever, had ever seen at the time. It's absolutely amazing story. It's a, you know, like I said, historical fiction. So there are some, you know, known criticisms of the story that may or may not be there, but uh, it's a great read, awesome summertime book. It's a fiction book, but uh, just in terms of an outdoors book, it's got it's got the survival component is just absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. So great read, pretty quick read, but uh, amazing book. That's that's a good one that I've never heard of. And you said that it's James Thom. Yes, James Alexander. Tom or Thom, T-H-O-M. I just, you know, saying it that way. I'm, I'm going to find that one and, and definitely put it on our list because that's that's one that I, I'd, I'd like to read that because I, I told you guys in the text when we were talking about this, I was like, however you want to define outdoor book is how you define it. Because I think that adds some some color to the, the conversation. Um, for my next pick, this one's not going to need a lot of discussion, but it's a book that's been around. It's by John Rieger. Uh, it's been around since the early 2000s. And it's called American Sportsman, The Origins of Conservation. And it's a great book to give you the kind of the tent poles of conservation from, from Roosevelt to Boone and Crockett, Aldo Leopold, like names that we talk about a lot when we do this kind of stuff. It's all kind of encapsulated here in a, in a really, I'll say it again, anthological way. Like it's, it's a really good, concise if you want to get up to speed quickly on how conservation works and why it works and the, the way the framework is set up in this country, this is a book that can get you there fast. And it's, it's a, not an expensive book. It's a book I've not known about that long. I've probably known about it five or six years, 
but um, I've I've read this one twice, and I wish I'd known about it twenty years ago because it's a it's a really good, really concise history of conservation, but heavy on the sportsman side, which is where we all kind of know conservation was birthed out of quite a bit. You know, it's 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 that's not to ignore uh, like a John Muir, but it it's so heavy out of the the Roosevelts and Grinnells and and the people that we've talked about before and our hunters and stuff. So um, I think that's a strong pick. American Sportsman: Origins of Conservation. Nate. You are back on the clock. I'm going to bring it back to the South, General South, and one game species specific book here. And uh, Todd mentioned it earlier. They still got some turkey hunting. They turkey hunt until like I feel like September up there because it's eight degrees most of the time. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so it, this this book is the Tenth Legion by Tom Tar- Colonel Tom Kelly. And if you're a turkey hunter and you haven't read this book please go read this book um it is a excellent excellent just kind of it's like a how-to but not really and it's like super informative but it's also like really good storytelling he tells a lot of stories about um all this stuff in the 10th legion he harkens back to the roman days when you know the 10th legion was like the fiercest fighting group and the most dedicated and all this stuff and kind of ties that in with turkey hunters which i think is a great analogy for turkey hunters because they are very passionate and very dedicated and uh most of them hate turkeys uh just like the 10th legion hated the enemy right so um anyway if you haven't read this book uh and you've ever turkey hunted or even want to turkey hunt uh it's really good pick it up Uh, i think you can still he's still i believe he's still alive he is Uh, he's in his 90s he killed a turkey this season in alabama that's right that's right. And, uh, and if you order from his website, usually you can get a signed copy and he puts a little Turkey feather in there too. So it's a nice little, uh, little thing. So anyway, pick up that book. It's really good. You, you have to pay for every Turkey you, you kill and the coin you pay with is time. That's Tom Kelly. That's one of his sayings that he like, that should be crocheted onto a pillow that every Turkey hunter sleeps on because it's a hundred percent true. Todd, I saw you, I, I, I know, uh, Cooksey's next, but I saw you nodding your head. Are you a Tom Kelly guy? Oh, I'm a big time Tom Kelly guy. I think that's the best Turkey hunting book that's ever been written. It's good. It's funny. It's informative. And, uh, I can relate to all of it, Travis. So I'm, I think that's a wonderful pick, Nate. And, uh, I, I am all about it. The, the, uh, I, I got the privilege to sit down and interview a few weeks back, the two of the premier Turkey biologists in the country, Mike Chamberlain and Brett Collier. And I asked them, what's a Turkey, what's your favorite Turkey book? And without hesitation, they were like 10th Legion. I read it every year. And these are guys that are academics. You know, I was looking like the ecology of the Eastern wild Turkey in subtropical climates of the North. Like I, I was looking for something with some detail and they were both like Tom Kelly. You know, every year I take it off the bookshelf and read it. And I was like, yeah, th- he just speaks to everybody. It's such a great, great, great book. Good pick, mate. Yeah, he said uh, the one of the big quotes is, I don't hunt turkeys because I want to. I hunt turkeys because I have to. And I feel like that's just like the turkey hunter's mantra. It's like me. Like, the, I haven't killed a turkey in, oh, God, I don't even want to say how long because it's been that long. But every year I'm out there and every year I'm mad at them. Like I'm like, I've got to kill a turkey this year. Every year. That's my mentality going in. Tur- turkeys have the remarkable ability to turn arrogance into hopelessness. He says that I, just fantastic book. Cooksey, you're on the clock, but I know you got some, I got a comment on this because the end of the sentence that Nate was just throwing out there is I am helpless in the grip of my compulsion. 
that's turkey hunting. And that's every time I come home, my wife says, did you kill anything? Well, no, but that wasn't the point. You know, I, I had to go. And she said, well, but she knew it wasn't even going to be good. Yeah, but I, I had to go. I just had to. Every turkey writer I know would say 10th Legion is the greatest turkey book that's ever been written. I'm going to say this. I almost feel like there's not a reason to write another turkey book. Like if you were a turkey fighter, it's almost discouraging because this is the thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's really such a perfect book. And that's not a knock on, on any of the others. Cause I know there are some other great ones out there, but mm-hmm. he's just so good. So what do you got? What's your next one? Okay. My next one. Um, there is not a lot of depth here. And, and actually I got the idea from cast and blast the group not long ago from a thread there, but it's going to be Richard Walters, the Labrador retriever, the history of the people. And, uh, you know, this was written back in the early 80s, and the Labrador has been the number one dog breed in the United States now. I just looked it up a few minutes ago on Google. Whoa. I Googled it 30 years in a row, number one in the U.S. So that kind of makes the preeminent book on the history of that breed uh, a pretty important thing, and it it goes very much in depth as to, you know, where it, the origins were, um, the Newfoundland dog and the Labrador dog and all that. And then coming to England and being developed and then coming to the U S and, and the differences in how they were developed on the two continents. And, uh, so it, it's a great book about this dog that means so much to hunters across the U S and, and really throughout, you know, the, the Northern hemisphere. It's a fantastic pick, and I love that you did not go with Gun Dog or Water Dog or one of Walter's other books, which I guarantee you I have copies of all of those sitting on my shelf. I guarantee you Nate does. Todd, I don't know how you are on, on retrievers and stuff. Dan, I guarantee you've got a copy of Gun Dog sitting somewhere in your house because it's just par for the course, right? At some point in every hunter's life, a waterfowl or upland chaser, they're going to get a dog, and one of the books they're going to pick up when they get that dog is Gun Dog, and that's that's kind of Richard Walter's seminal work is the Labrador book that covers the history of the lab. Just a, just a fantastic pick. And I'm glad you went that way, Bill. When I, so many of these writers will talk about on this have written other things. So if you get this one and you like it, read the rest of them because I have game dog, gun dog, water dog. You know, Walters has stuff on how to fly hang, how to fly gliders. You know, the, so, you know, they're, they're all diverse people. Most of these writers. So Todd Waldron, are, Todd, you, do you have a, are, you don't have a up on dog, correct? <laughs> I was going to suggest one, but you know, no, <laughs> it's, it's on my bucket list. I'll tell you what, um, as soon as I get done with grad school, I will get another dog. My, my dog passed away about a year ago and we are in transition. And so I am all over it doing a lot of research and so just can't wait, but it's going to be about another year for me. And then, um, then I'm all over it. Nate so. can absolutely give you tips on how to avoid poodle pointers if necessary. <laughs> um, so what is your next pick, Todd Waldron? Okay. So, you know, being a grouse guy now, I I'd be remiss if I didn't say something about new, the, the heritage of new England grouse shooting because it is it's a classic kind of thing and when you think of upland hunting in the northeast new england rough grouse woodcock are all about it so the author i'm going to talk about was actually an artist 
and he went to the Pyle School in Wilmington, Delaware. He, he was um, hired by Scribner's to do some artwork when they did the Panama Canal. Um, so he was the person that went for Scribner's to do the illustrations, but he was also a phenomenal grouse hunter. He's one of the people that started skeet shooting, sporting clays, and his name is William Harnden Foster, and he wrote a book called uh, New England Grouse Shooting, and it's absolutely fantastic for people outside of the area. And what's really cool about um, Foster is that he had a friend named Leon in, in Maine during that time, around 1912, who was trying to start a catalog business. And so uh, Leon said to him, you know, can you draw me a picture of something good to put on my catalog? So Foster drew a nice picture of a big moose, put it on the calendar, you know, and put it on the catalog. And uh, Leon's full name was Leon Leonwood Bean, L.L. Bean. And uh, they did pretty well. They're, they're still going. And, uh, you know, so really cool story. New England grouse shooting. It's classic. And for a runner up, if you're into like another grouse book, check out Grouse Feathers by Burton Spiller, because this guy is like the the father of grouse hunting. He had an eighth grade education. He was a Renaissance person. He built violins and instruments. He welded and he hunted grouse like no tomorrow. And he is absolutely fantastic. So uh, that's what I want to share on the New England grouse. Shooting you know, it just clicked for me. And it's something I would have never thought of if we didn't do this is really from an upland perspective for the part of the world you're in. It's very similar to how quail are for the Southeast, right? Like that's, that's just, kind of the same thing, but I've never thought about it that way until right now, but there's a history and a legacy and a heritage of grouse hunting in that, in that region. That's, that's pretty unique. I would have never thought of that until, until right now. So I'll have to check those out. I'm not familiar with either of those books. Yeah, it, it's similar to quail it, and, you know, it, you know, people are passionate about upland hunting and birds and their dogs and, uh, coming on to RGS, it's cool to just hang out with all the chapter members and leaders <laughs> and they know more Amen. about dogs than I'll ever know. And, you know, the, any kind of dog you can think of German wire hairs and, you know, when it comes to grouse and I mean, just, uh, they are just all over it and it's a fun, fun crowd to be with. Speaking of German wire hairs, Dan Daniels, now, do you have a German wire hair or do you have a, a wire hair pointing? Which, which one do you have? GWP. You have a GWP. That's what I thought. Although he wouldn't know a grouse if he saw it. Oh, come on. I, I'd make him do whatever I want. It's a versatile breed. You know what I'm saying? Richard Walters told you so. Um, you are on the clock, my friend. So what is your pick, Dan Daniels? All right. I just, I'm, gonna, I'm feeling bad. We are leaving classics out there left and right. And I'm just not going to do it. Because um, I think <laughs> I'm not going to do a classic. Okay. I want to tie back into Nate's A Land Remembered in a big way here. Because this is probably... Uh, possibly the most obscure book on on the list but uh it, it's a must read for central floridians which i mean i'm like really dialing it into a, a small geographic area and it's a book called the trouble with panthers by william kyler hall who's actually from lakeland florida who i got a great story sent his first manuscript of, of this book to patrick d smith somebody he idolized and old pat sent it right back and said it sucked you need to rework it do it over and apparently that's a true story. So he sent him his second version of this book and he says, this is great, send it. And they went to publishing and he helped them publish this book. But basically this book chronicles a completely fictitious story about central Florida cattle rancher in the 2000s with the plight of this being ranches going away to that third and fourth generation 
and the pressure that's on these families to sell. So where a land remembered kind of ended at Rickenbacker Causeway down in Miami with the development aspect, this one kind of tugs at your heartstrings about what these families are going through as they kind of the, the patriarch or the matriarch finally passes away and it has to get passed on. So, you know, read it for yourself. You're not going to find it in many places, but it's around and it's, it, it's gettable on Amazon. And I will also say this was directly recommended to me, me by a good friend, Drew Tucker from Tucker Farms out of Rockledge in Keenansville, who I know has uh, served on the Cattlemen's Association. I'm sure people listening know this family well. And, uh, you know, he said, read it, Dan. And uh, just, you know, it's one of those things that regionally for our cast and blasters directly, it should be read. So William Kyler Hall, Trouble with Panthers. I've never heard of this book. And I live basically in Lakeland. So I'm, I'm a little embarrassed right now. Correct. And this is the weird thing about it. When he told me about it, I said, how, how do I not know about this? So it's just, you know, like I said, real obscure, but uh, so super fitting for our, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, cast and blasters that are out there around the state and around the Southeast and around the country, actually, because it's great insight. I, I literally just ordered it on Amazon, like while we were doing this, <laughs> because I feel like it's going to mention geographical areas near me or near where I grew up and see like, I just ordered it. So anyway, it's on Amazon. This is one of those books that probably has one of those hard disclaimers that the events in this book are not representative of any, because it's just <laughs> set in 2004 and you could literally like almost uh, 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 swap out the family names yep. and fit about four different long standing central Florida families. Yep. So it's, it's, it's one of those types of books. So I can't believe we have, some of the I'm gonna trust that Bill Cooksey and Nate are gonna carry the weight on the on the last the last round before we get to free agents because I'm gonna pick something sentimental. And what I'm gonna pick that's sentimental is not specifically the book I'm picking, but it's what it represents. And I'm gonna show you guys what it is. But for me, it was the Reader's Digest North American Wildlife book, which is just a, a field guide of of and you can see mine's falling apart because it's been thumbed through so many times. But is I love field guides. I love field guides if they're Audubon. I love field guides if they're like this. I love every field guide I could possibly get my hands on. And I remember being a kid, that was like my entry into worlds that I couldn't see. Like we we didn't go shoot mallards in, in the Midwest, in Tennessee and stuff. We didn't go hunt mule deer or elk or anything else. But the way I dreamed about it, and I'm hopeful Nate will talk about this in a minute too at some point. But the way I dreamed about it was these books and Nate probably remembers that book because it was sitting in my parents' house and I stole it when I moved out. But these types of books gave me a vehicle and it didn't matter which one it was, but they gave me a vehicle to see what a Harlequin duck looked like or what a, what the difference between a Miriam's and an Osceola was, or what, you know, why a doll sheep looks this way and what what's the difference between a sheep and a goat. And without that, I don't know that I care about hunting and conservation the way I care about it. Because that allowed six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old Travis to just come home from school, get done playing basketball or whatever, and you want to flip through something and, and kind of like just ethereally look at it. That was there. And it was a thing that to this day I treasure that book. It sits on my bookshelf in my office because it was that that particular one was one that I just wore the pages out. Go ahead, Dan. I got a question for you because you're bringing me back to nostalgia. Did this particular field guide have track? print pictures in it, it did oh that addictive addictive 
like going out on a walk with your field guide and trying to like track something or make a track when I was little was like, I mean, it was just, you know, intoxicating. <laughs> and, and I'll give you an aside today because Facebook exists and apps exist and everything else. This is a dying world a little bit, but it's always comical to me when I'm in a birding group, I'm in, a, I'm in a number of birding groups. Cause I I'm a birder as much as I'm a hunter or fisherman. Like I enjoy watching wildlife and someone will post and say, Hey, this animal's here. And it says in the field guide on the Merlin app that it shouldn't be there. And I'm like, Oh really? You didn't grow up with those little shaded maps. <laughs> yes. That you looked through <laughs> kind of an Audubon book or something that you're like showing your dad who works for the state as an environmental engineer. And you're like, dad, why it doesn't say swallowtail kites are here or something or whatever it was. And he's like, Oh yeah, they're everywhere. Like that book's wrong. No, the book can't be wrong, dad. And he, yeah, just going through like that growth and that, that you're just, I'm sorry. What about when it says very rare and you have a sighting about it in, in your area? It's like, Whoa, you're so pumped because it's very rare and you've got 27 raccoons in your, in your trash can <laughs> pulling them out every morning. God, I love field guides so much. That's just, it warms my heart. And I felt, I felt like we, this, this whole draft would be invalidated if we didn't at least mention it. Um, Todd, do you have anything to say about field guides? I love field guides, Travis. I've got a whole library full of field guides and I use them all the time. I'm a tree nerd. I've got more tree field guides than you can imagine for the south for the north for the west um sibley's guide for birds is something that's really cool it's old and and all dog-eared and uh yeah i think that is such a great pick and i'm glad you put it in there it's important last week my wife and i she we were watching a bird through the windows what the hell is that And, and we couldn't figure it out it was and we had a bad view of it, but I was like, it's not an indigo bunning, but it's about the right size, but it's not quite right and all. And the next day I, I came in and, and she said she had her, whatever Audubon, you know, society books of birds out. And she said, <laughs> it's a blue gross beak. And they're not unheard of here. I'd never seen one, or at least I hadn't enough seen it where I could recognize it. So you know, yeah, we, I, I still use them all the time. She uses them. I mean, I, I use my phone and I look stuff up, but opening that book, you know, there's just something about it. And I can remember doing tracings and stuff for school projects of wood ducks and white tailed deer and, and box turtles and things like that. Like, cause I just wanted to make my own field guide of the things Travis knew and Travis saw and stuff. It was just like, is inescapable. Nate, you're on the clock, but if you want to talk about field guides, go ahead, but then go into your pick. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to just uh, make my next pick. We're talking about nostalgia. We're talking about field guides. We're talking about. So uh, this book was sitting on your coffee table, at your parents' coffee table. Uh, and I, every time I came over, no questions asked, I would pick up that old hardcover white book uh, called <clears throat> The Big Game Animals of North America by Jack O'Connor. And uh, I would flip through that book and it would have everything from walrus and muskox and wolves to deer and pronghorn and elk and all the sheep species and you know o'connor had a basically an article written about each one of them and it had those maps the shaded maps where they live and the tracks and the poop and the you know whatever else and the illustrations in that book i don't remember who did the illustrations in that book but they are incredible like they're so good and i would just sit there and flip through and look at the pictures and a couple of years ago i was 
feeling nostalgic and I looked it up on Amazon and you can still get them. Uh, there's not in print anymore, but you can still get them. You're going to pay a little bit more money for them probably, but I ordered one. So now it sits in my, on my shelf and periodically I'll pull it out and flip through it just to feel that nostalgia, feel that wave of like sitting in your parents' living room back in the day, like flipping through that, just dreaming about hunting these animals and, you know, figuring out how, you know, growing up and doing that. And uh, so that's my final pick. It's a nostalgia pick. The Big Game Animals in North America by Jack O'Connor. It's such a good pick, Nate, and I was hopeful you would pick it. That's what I was hinting at because the other side of that story is I was not allowed to read that book as a child because it was worth money, and I, I was my parents were worried I would ruin it. But when Nate was seven years old, my dad would let Nate do whatever Nate wanted. So uh, I'm a little bit resentful of that pick as well because uh, <laughs> I did not get to spend as much time with that book. So it's not doesn't mean as much to me because I didn't get it till I was like 18. <laughs> they had me on a clock with it so uh i'm a little bitter not to not to call my dad out but anyway todd uh you have any thoughts about that pick it's an incredible pick nate i mean jack o'connor is the outdoor writer that we all look up to and think of and all of his books and his great writing and uh i i, I think it's an incredible pick and I, i'm glad you brought it up i mean there's so many books here uh, to think about and there's so many like with four picks each it's so tough to, to go through it that has to be here it has to be here cooksy you're on the clock but you're walking away in on that i, I look o'connor i it, it, we'd be incomplete without o'connor and and it's like my next pick there's more you could have gone with with o'connor but that's that it is probably the right one i mean but he's the father of the 270 i mean and i own i own a 270 so there you go that's what i deer hunt with uh when <laughs> right. i can find bullets anymore <laughs> if anyone has any 270 ammo i could use some awesome pick awesome pick and o'connor what an incredible you know sportsman from from our country okay i i don't know how we got to this round without this guy and i i've got this long list of people but uh uh, I'm going to come back to him. And the reason I hadn't already and didn't pick him earlier is I couldn't pick a book. Um, but I'm going north. I'm invading oh. Todd's world up there. You know, I'm going on the offensive. And and, uh, and he's a guy who actually, if you read his books, you'll read several places, several stories where he talks about Burton Spiller and, and Spiller's grouse writing. So, uh, um, but I'm going to stick with dogs. So I'm going with a dog book by this guy. And it's Gene Hill. And I almost went with Hill Country, but I'm going with Tears and Laughter, a couple of dozen dog stories. And it, it, it is one of those books that uh, it's full of short to the point stories. And when it says Tears and Laughter, if you don't cry and laugh, you can pick any three stories. You're going to cry and laugh several times within those stories. Um, he, he was the greatest short storyteller of the latter half of the 20th century in North America, I believe. And we're lucky that he told outdoor sportsman-centric stories. And when it comes to dogs, how do you go wrong? Everybody loves a dog. Gene, Gene Hill could have written anything. Hunting and fishing got lucky because that, that guy could write like nobody's business. It, it uh, the one thing I wrote down, like in my notes, I said, "Whoever said you can't buy happiness forgot little puppies." That's a Gene Hill quote from 
Tears and, Tears and Laughter. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how you pick one book of Gene Hill. I feel like if you pick Gene Hill, you get the collective. And that's why a minute ago when I said I was going sentimental, I was hoping one of you was going to pick the Jack O'Connor book and one of you was going to pick Gene Hill because uh, the other the other funny thing I'll tell you about Gene Hill is Will, for a while there, he wanted to play video games. And I said, okay, you can play video games, but you got to read a book for an hour a day. And if you won't pick a book, I'll assign one to you. And so I gave him Gene Hill, I think a fireside, a hunter's fireside companion. That's a great one. And I said, buddy, what did you think of that book? And he's like seven, eight, nine years old. I said, what'd you like? What'd you think of that book? He's like, dad, that guy can write. <laughs> he sighed. He said, that dude can write. And I don't know that yeah. Gene Hill, I don't know how he would have felt about being called a dude, but uh, absolutely. Yep. Dan's got it right there on the screen off to the side. Just incredible. Um, I would say if there was somebody you want to write like, it's Gene Hill. And if he falls short, you probably came out pretty good. Well, I went to school to be an outdoor writer. And while in school and trying to write, I realized I can't write like Gene Hill. And that's who I wanted to write like. And I said, I can never do that. And I never could. And I've tried. And so I've always been a miserable failure as a writer. He wrote a story, and I don't remember which book it's in. But he wrote a story about a dog's last hunt. He wrote kind of on those themes a lot, but he wrote a story about a dog's last hunt where he took him out and he shot a woodcock and then he took him to the vet and the dog was put down with that woodcock. And it's between like between his feet, between his feet. And I'm like, dude, if you can read that and not get misty eyed, you have no soul. Like yeah. One of the best pieces of writing just in existence. And it's a two page article, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, it's just incredible. So Todd, you're, you're on the clock, follow up Gene Hill and, 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 Good luck with that. I, I can't follow up Gene Hill. <laughs> that is an amazing pick, Bill. That is so incredible. I love that you picked that. And uh, it's such a strong pick. And there are so many people I want to pick here in this, this round, but I'm going to have to narrow it down. Um, I'm going to say that one of my favorite writers in general is uh, Jim Harrison, who wrote Legends of the Fall in like nine days guy is the most amazing writer he wrote books like brown dog dalva um true north um the road home i mean on and on uh incredible writer somebody i love he hung around some really cool hunters um like he liked bird hunt he woodcock hunted up in michigan he hunted quail in arizona um he hung around russell chatham who did a lot of artwork for a lot of books and he hung around um a guy from France named Guy de la Baldine, I think, or Guy de la Baldine. And he moved to Florida, uh, Baldine did, and he wrote a book called Fragrance of Grass, which is a really good book. And he also wrote a handful of feathers. And I just, I like the whole style of those folks that hung around Harrison. And I, I'm just really attracted to his writing in general. So um, it was a really cool, interesting scene like listening to somebody from France, right. About his love for dogs and bird hunting and everything. And so I can't believe like, there's so many books that I want to pick for this round um, that I, that I'm going with Gita Labaldine on fragrance of grass, um, you know, Tallahassee quail plantation stuff, really cool. Um, worth checking out uh, really good, strong writer. Uh, I think the last time we had a podcast, I had mentioned Paulina Brandreth from the Adirondacks and she wrote, the book Trails of Enchantment as under a pseudonym for Forest and Stream, which was Field and Stream. And, uh, you know, so that was going to be the book I was going to pick. But then I think I, I had already put her in on a previous round. Dan, go ahead and give us your last pick. And 
then I'll give my last pick and then we'll, we'll, we'll circle back. Yeah. This I'm taking some liberties here because the outdoor classification, but I think you guys will track here. This is a very utilitarian book and it's something that I love that I have a lot of one of those things like field guides to me are uh, cookbooks. So I basically have here and uh, I set it out because it has a little quote I want to read, but uh, duck, duck goose by Hank Shaw. I mean, just solid. I, I, let me let me tell you what I'm doing here. I'm recommending a book that I've actually never read, but I will look at the pictures like all the time. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I haven't even read the whole thing, but I don't think if you ever read the entirety of a cookbook. But anytime I pick up a pee or look at it or get some inspiration, this thing is bad to the bone. And I'm going to give you a quick read on a on a, <clears throat> you know, on the forward here. Not a forward, but um, Hank Shaw elevates waterfowl to its rightful place in the culinary skies. He will teach you how to turn flesh into edible works of art without sacrificing practicality. I'll be reading and using this book for decades to come. And that was from Stephen Ranella. So, you know what I'm saying? High praise. And he, Ranella kind of nails it there. Like, it's like, you can just look at the pictures. You can get as deep in the weeds with some of these uh, uh, recipes, or you could just get a quick fry recipe or a quick roast recipe and do some awesome stuff. So uh, Hank Shaw, most people know him. Uh, if you're in the, duck world and uh you know completes our library uh, um, of at least having one cookbook in there I, i'm surprised that we have not ever done an interview with hank shaw because I, as i understand he's always willing to do them I, did he do one with you todd I, I feel like did you have him on east to west you know i never did have hank shaw on east to west and he would be high on my list to get on and for whatever reason i just never scheduled it so th this choice is spot on it is amazing he is um right up there i i read one you know his books all of his cookbooks are amazing i i, I yeah I, and i'm glad we got a cookbook in i'm glad we got field guides in i'm glad we got the jack o'connor book in and i'm glad we got a cookbook in and then i feel like cooksy held us level on 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 uh sticking with some classics to put a bow on this and man now i got pressure because i've got the last pick so i, I got to make sure i get everything in that i wanted to but I'm going to go Florida because I don't I, I did Randy Wayne White, but that's not really a Florida book because those writers are from all over the place. Just talking about tarpon and fishing. But I'm going to go Florida with my last pick and it's going to be an odd pick. Nate, Nate picked the quintessential Florida book in a land remembered. Um, Dan picked the one no one's ever heard of in the Panther book that I'm going to have to order. But the one I'm going to pick that if you're listening to this podcast, you're you, you love Florida, you're interested in Florida should be required reading in the modern era is the swamp by Michael Grunwald. And it is a fantastic, again, I'm, I'm on an anthology kick tonight, but it's a fantastic, just assemblage of history and reasoning and how we got to where we are with South Florida, the Everglades, um, the land from distant, like digging ditches and Flagler building railroads to, sugar to farms to damming the the lake to hurricanes the just how the everglades got to where they are and when he talks about the everglades he doesn't limit it to just the park he talks about the greater everglades ecosystem which is a thing we talk about a lot and i just feel like it's a big book it's a thick book um there's a lot of maps in it there's a lot of just a lot in it it should almost be required reading if you want to enter into the Everglades, South Florida Water Management District, ecosystem restoration discussion, read the swamp 
and set your baseline there. And then, and then let's get into conversations about lake levels or discharges or aquatic plant man management or, or whatever. Um, just a amazing book should be, like I said, should be required reading. Dan, I see a puzzled look on your face. You have thoughts on, on Grunwald in the swamp. Yeah. I'm embarrassed because this is the one that I haven't read that I feel like, Ooh, I've just like dropped multi levels of credibility, you know, especially in the space that I work in, you know? Yeah. We expect Todd to not have read it. I'd be okay with Bill having not read it, but you should have, you, yeah, I'm disappointed in you, Dan. I'm not going to lie. He, he, he absolutely talks about even like the dissonance between people that are pissed off that we're ditching and building and everything else, but it's because they've closed the gate behind them and they don't recognize that they're here and they're part of the problem. And, and so the problem existed before they got here and they've added to it. And it's it really a perspective that I think is missing in a lot of the conservation conversations that we have today. And as a Florida guy, I couldn't do this draft and not have that on the list. So Todd, I think you're shaking your head. You've not, you're not familiar with the swamp, right? I'm not familiar with it, but like it resonates with me big time. And I will gladly read that because there's so many things going on up here um, with growth and with like with COVID related recreational uh, impacts and so forth on resources, people wanting to get outside and what all that means and people coming here and what that means. I think there's just a lot that um, resonates back and forth and is universal. I think that's a really good thought, a really good thing to say, because it is, I tend to think like Florida stuff so unique. But then I can talk to Bill or I can talk to Todd or I can talk to somebody else. And, and you, you start to see parallels between discussions about Mississippi River stuff or, or about whatever. And, and you start to see some of these similarities and these things crop up again and again and again. And, yeah, they're different flavors of problem, but they're very similar in their, in their uh, kind of the, the factions that form around them and, and the, the outcomes and, and how we get there and how we fight for it and how we how – we, Bill, you're shaking your head. Are you familiar with Grunwald in the swamp? You, you, yeah, you mean like – People screwed it up while trying to make it better, and now we're trying to figure out how to keep it from getting worse and make things okay and get by. And yeah, sounds familiar to you. Yeah, <laughs> like as part of your and, and everywhere. I mean, we, we're dealing with it everywhere, all over the world. And and fortunately, I think we're learning. I hope we're learning, but more people need to, and they need to read. That. Last year, I, I got to interview some folks from the Department of the Interior on the on the water quality stuff, and I remember them talking about the Columbia River Basin, and 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 that's an area of the world that I am completely unfamiliar with. And as they're talking about, I'm like, well, that sounds familiar. Well, that sounds familiar. Well, that sounds familiar. And they're talking about the Pacific Northwest, and it's like, yeah, it just so good. And I love that you said it that way, Todd. Like, like there's so much you can learn and glean from from looking at other perspectives and other places and, and things like that. Here's what we're going to do to put a bow on this. Um, I'm going to let our guests go first. So I'm going to start with Todd and then I'll go to Bill and then Dan and Nate. And, and we'll. what I'm looking for is quick hit list. What didn't make the cut tonight that you wish could have made the cut if you'd had 10 more rounds? Like what are what are the other books that you really wanted on here? Okay, so I'm on. You're good. Um, Okay, Travis, thanks a lot. So, so many good books. Um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Dr. Robin Wall Kimmer. She's a, a professor at SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry, Indigenous. She writes amazing stuff and she is half poet. She's like big on science and Indigenous knowledge. Read it. It's good. Braiding Sweetgrass. 
uh, Ivan Turgenev, a sportsman sketches. You want to read something fascinating. He wrote in the 1850s about bird hunting in Russia. And this book actually caused a social revolution that freed the serfs in Russia in the 1850s and 60s. It's called The Sportsman Sketches, Ivan Turgenev. That's an amazing book. Um, that's another one that you want to check out. Um, this isn't a hunting book, but it's absolutely fascinating. It's natural history. It's called Floating Coast by Bathsheba DeMuth. She is a professor at Brown University, and it's about the natural history of the Bering Sea on both the Russian side and on the Alaskan side and how indigenous communities reacted to both socialism and capitalism in the early 20th century and resource use around whales and walruses and seals. It's absolutely fascinating and good. Um, another one that I like is Across the Wide Missouri by Bernard DeVoto about the 1830s trapping culture of Ashley's Hundred and the whole Western Montana, you know, uh, Rocky Mountain trapping setup and how things went. It's an incredible history. And I'm going to wrap that up with a book called Owls of the Eastern Ice by John Slatt. And it's a book about um, this wild place in, in the far east of Russia and the biggest fish owls in the world and the hunters and anglers that live in this remote place and how they connect with salmon. And like the one thing I took by that was that even if it's in far off Russia, there's people just like us all over the world that value our lifestyle and the wildlife that we depend on. So that's what I've got. A lot of other good ones and uh, appreciate all the ones that you guys bring up. That, those are excellent. And I love, I love Todd, how you, how you always, I, I don't want to say you pick different for the sake of being different. You really have such a varied interest in this stuff. And I love that perspective. Dan, go ahead. I just want to thank Todd for occupying my June, July, and August summer reading. <laughs> you no kidding. <laughs> we can keep in touch, Dan. <laughs> Bill Cooksey, what, what did not make the cut for you? Well, I, wait, I just got to say about Todd's list there. I felt uh, knowing that I came next, I'm like this guy that the avalanche is coming down, the snow's coming down. I'm trying to remember. They say swim, swim the snow, and, you know, and then make a space because my gosh, what a list of books! I, like Dan said, I, he's occupied a few months now, and, and but that's good. I need need some new reading and and to get out of the ruts. But uh, you know, number one, I'm going to list the the book that got me into reading as a kid. It really got open my eyes to, to reading novels, not just short stories. And that was Ernest Hemingway's Green Hills of Africa. Easy, simple, you know, not necessarily a lot of great lessons, but it's a wonderful read and uh, it, it, it'll get you going. You know, if, if you're a sportsman, you're not a reader, pick it up and try it. Uh, uh, you'll probably end up a reader. Um, Next will be an anthology, uh, and it's George Bird Evans' uh, Best of Nash Buckingham. And I almost picked that instead of uh, The Shooting This Gentleman because it will get you a broad spectrum of Buckingham over a lot of years with some background from each of those stories uh, that will help a lot of people understand better what they're about. Then there's Havla Babcock, My Health is Better in November. Havla that title's Havla Babcock. My health is better in November. Yes, that is the title of the book. And it, it's another book of short stories. He was a big bird hunter. And, you know, he, he his health was better in November. And I think we can all identify uh, with that feeling. Gordon McQuarrie. Gordon McQuarrie, I can't believe we didn't mention. 
Like such a great writer. Such yes. a great writer. Yeah. Tales of the old duck hunters. And so I invaded Todd's world again and, and picked a Yankee. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal writer. He and uh, I know a lot of waterfowl guys that go back and forth between Nash Buckingham and good Gordon McCord. And a lot of it is where you're from, which one you appreciate the most, even though they wrote fishing and upland and all that waterfowl is kind of what they're known for. And another one, and I'm going to go out West here is Elmer Keith. Hell, I was there his autobiography and Elmer Keith developed the 44 Magnum, the 41 Magnum. Um, he saw the very end of the old West and he was this little old sawed off Western guy who couldn't write a lick, but he had a lot of great editors and he told a good story uh, all the way down to with a 44 Magnum shooting a jackrabbit at 500 yards, you know, with witnesses. So uh, he, he was it, it, great stories. And, and when you like reading old stuff and, and, learning the history of how some of these calibers and guns and, and things out West, he and Jack O'Connor hated each other, <laughs> despised each other. Jack O'Connor was a high velocity, long range guy. And Elmer Keith was a slug him with something big and heavy guy, you know, <laughs> they, they, hard and knock them they, they were in each other's face all the time. So, you know, this is good. That's what we need to remember. We think today we're back. We're sniping each other. We always have, and that's half the fun of it. That's exactly right. That's a good word, and that's a strong list. Nate, or I'm going to let Dan go next, and I'll let Nate because Nate's – Dan, you, you got the floor. What did, what did we miss off your list? Okay, so this will be a, this will be a odd ask here. Um, something that didn't make the list, I don't know if it fits this circle that I'm looking for, is a good uh, archery book. So I don't have one. There's nothing that I go, but I'm an archer. I love bow hunting, and I just don't know where that is. I know it exists, but uh, I'm looking for things there. And then, um, I mean, I'm glad somebody put it on there. I'm just going to say this might be the um, one of the most cliche books of all time because it's so good. Its success has made it almost like, like uh, trivialized it. But it's Hemingway and it's Old Man in the Sea and it's transformative. I mean, the book is not about fishing, but it's so about fishing. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, we just kind of literally we crap on this book left and right because it's, you know, oh, I read it for a book report because it was only, you know, 100 pages or whatever it is. And uh, man, it just has to be in there. It has to be in there. And, and fishing. Him, him, Hemingway was that uh, old man in the sea was on my yeah okay yeah so you have to have it I think you have to have yeah, it that, that's really the only one I'm recommending that didn't make it and then uh, like I said I'm asking the the cast and blast world for a good archery book Nate do you have an archery book recommendation or uh, I don't I you know you could pick up Cam Haynes book uh, bow hunting I can't remember what it's called but it's something about bow hunting the west uh, that I've heard good things I haven't read it but uh, I'm surprised I don't have one being in the archery world that I was, you know, I'm surprised I don't really have a, a solid archery book, but I'll do some research and I'll, I'll get back with you. Fred bear didn't write a book on archery. Uh, yeah. I mean, Fred, <laughs> so, uh, he did write a couple, he, he wrote a book. Um, but I don't, I can't off the top of my head. I can't think about it, but I'll, sure. I'll look it up. I'll get it to you. Um, anyway, so a couple that did make the list for me and their classics, uh, it's beyond fair chase by Poswitz and um death in the long grass capstick uh you know africa and then 
basically the ethics of North American game hunting, uh, you know, with Posowitz. Uh, two great books. The Posowitz one is like you can read it probably in a day. It's really short, sweet to the point. And then the Death in the Long Grass that he goes through the Big Five of Africa and um, basically tells stories of his uh, escapades as a, uh, a professional hunter in Africa. And uh, really good writing, uh, exciting writing uh, from Capstick. So, so there you go. Those are my two that didn't make the list. Nate, I don't know if you remember this or not, because I don't know if I ever passed the message along correctly, but you mentioned the Pozowicz book a couple of years ago on the podcast as a, as a summer read you want to do. Dan mailed us your copy. That's right. I think I do remember that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's funny because I, I do that. I just like mail away books and then I get mad that I lost them. <laughs> yeah, well, Nate has your Nate has your Pozowitz book if you, if you're looking for it. Um, I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit a few that I have left. Um, you did you did Death in the Long Grass, Nate? Yes. For me, my favorite capstick book, and this was probably the book for me, like Cooksey was talking about, that got me into reading this kind of stuff was death in the silent places, which is the one where he goes through and, and like, um, he profiles Sasha Simo and he profiles Caramo Bell and he, he profiles Luke, uh, the, the guy that did the man, Colonel Patterson, Colonel Patterson and Jim Corbett. And like each chapter is one of those guys. And man, I, I read that book, like it's fallen apart too. It, it, I, I read that book so many times, like the spine just kind of fate finally gave up. Capstick is so cool to those of us from America because when you really read, you know, safari stuff, they're either from Kenya or South Africa or Zimbabwe or, or they're English. I mean, he was an American in the last half of the 20th century, moved to Africa and apprenticed and went to work for the game department and did elephant control and then became a white hunter. And I mean, he did it all and he was just one of us. And that's to me, unbelievable. Yeah. And he's who opened the door to me to reading Rourke, to reading, uh, 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 Jim Corbett's books or to reading, um, Hemingway, stuff like that. Like I wanted more of that. And I will, I will say he was a great storyteller, but he wasn't the writer that they are. But that was the entryway to me to that world. And, and it just opened up this whole new thing that I, I didn't know existed. And it, uh, I, I have books. I have Karamoho Bell's book. I have Patterson's book on my bookshelf. And I bought them because I read about those guys in a capstick book where he talked about them. So just a, just a, that, was, that was for me like the, the book. Um, the other ones are also sentimental because I'm, I'm a sentimental guy when it comes to books. And I, I don't know how you guys feel, um, and I'll, I'll let you respond to this, but I, I'm not a big e-reader fan, I, and I'm not really a book-on-tape fan. And I've had to become a little bit of that, but I still – I'll buy a book on tape and then buy the book because books are like a comfort – I mean, I'm looking at Cooksey. He's got a shelf behind him. I've got books behind me. Dan's holding them up as he's as – he, Nate's holding them up. Like, I, I have to – touch the book it's a thing i want to be able to go pick up and flip through and, and reference so i've got a couple on here that you would only know because they're really regional books in florida but one is frank Sargent's secret spots nate i know you're going to nod your head at that because you you've borrowed mine probably or have your own um frank Sargent was a newspaper editor in florida uh he was the 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 fishing editor for the tampa bay times 
And, and so on my list, I have Frank Sargent's Secret Spots. And then he wrote a series of books called one called the Snook Book, one called the Trout Book, one called the Redfish Book, one called the Darwin Book. Every one of those books I've read no less than a dozen times. He also he also ruined our best snook spot. He did. Had he wrote about, about it 15 years ago, 20 years ago. He, he wrote about it in an article for Florida Sportsman. But those those books are like old friends to me. I can take them off the shelf and I can start reading it. And I'm like, oh, I know how this goes. And almost skip ahead like two or three pages because I just the, the words just come back to me so quickly because I've read them so many times. And the other one that's like that is Captain Mel Berman, who was a, a, a guy in the Tampa area. He was a radio host. He was a he ran a fishing forum back in the day. Like we talk about the refuge forums and stuff. He ran one of the biggest ones in Florida. And uh, he wrote a book called Skinny, How to Fish Shallow Water. That book is the same way to me. It's a little paperback book that I've read a gajillion times. And um, th those those books for me are must must haves, must must reads. If, you, if you're in the Florida space, they're not something if you weren't in Florida, I wouldn't recommend reading them. But for somebody in Florida, like they're, they're just cool to have. They're great easy reads like they remind me of the in fisherman books remember those bills like the the old al lender and, and all those books like the how to catch more walleyes and i read those as a kid but that's all we had and and then frank Sargent came out with these books and it was like oh my god there's a whole new world out here we didn't have the internet and stuff so so being able to get to that anyway i i'm gonna give um i'm gonna give todd and bill i'm gonna let you guys kind of put a bow on this and then we'll come back and wrap this thing up well i've had a great time with everybody here so uh thanks for inviting me again and just having this conversation so many good books so many good writers and a lot of good company uh, so i i just really appreciate it it's been a lot of fun and hope to do it again sometime oh man th this has been a ball and if anything i i hope it encourages some people who maybe either haven't read much or or, or you know are interested in reading or to, to get even more interested and to open their eyes to there's so much out there in the outdoor world that you can pick up books and read. You have no, YouTube doesn't touch the amount of literature. I, you can get on there and spend months. You won't find nearly what are on these shelves just around this room. And these guys have brought up a couple of dozen books I haven't read. And that means there are hundreds I haven't read or thought about and and I've been reading this stuff all my life it opens your mind it opens your eyes and it opens our world I, it, Dan that, or Bill that's a thing that you and I've had conversations I, I think all of us have had conversations offline about this before the idea of critical thinking and, and digging for more and reaching beyond just what's on the top shelf and the Dan and I've had a conversation about the medium is, is the message and McLuhan's law and stuff like that. And being able to get into a book, 160 page, a 220 page book about the outdoors and whatever that means to you is just such a powerful thing and a powerful thought. And it, I think I really appreciate you saying it that way. It, hopefully it'll encourage more people to, it's interesting. We're in 2021 post pandemic, using a podcast that's going to be shared on social media to talk about books, a whole pile of which were written before anyone's dad ever dreamed about this stuff. That's pretty neat. Yeah, no, it's, this has been a great conversation. Great ton of great books. I've got, I need to read more is what I figured out in this episode. I definitely need to read more. Uh, I have not read enough of these books and uh, I definitely have a list now to really, you know, start chipping away at. All right. I got a, a couple quick things. Um, first funny anecdote and then a hot tip. So talking about when you're a little, um, I, I, I'm a kind of a self-taught hunter. I had an exposure as a neighbor, but I don't come from a hunting family. So 
I went to the public library and school library look, looking for duck hunting books as a 12 and 13 year old. And I'm living in, you know, salt marshes of, you know, Eastern central Florida. And I came up to a mentor one day who actually was from, had spent some time in Arkansas. And I'm like, Mr. Beal, where do I find this flooded timber, flooded green timber? I've been looking all around for flooded green timber and these green-headed mallards. I just don't, what's going on here? And he's just smirking at me and laughing. And, you know, and, and I figured out pretty quick that uh, it, it's fabled for a reason because I did get to experience flooded green timber once and it was pretty epic. But uh, it's just funny how certain things within the construct of hunting become the thing. And a lot of times, a lot of stuff's left out. And then uh, the last thing is talking about the books. Um, my favorite is paperback and hot tip is Ziploc bag, paperback, Florida, you know, archery hunting in September, thunderstorms, you're gonna, you're gonna be wet, stupid wet. So Ziploc bags and a paperback, that's the best because your battery doesn't run out. You don't lose the thing and get upset. If it gets wet or something happens to it, it's a paperback, no big deal. So that's my hot tip. Bill, Bill just wrote in the, uh, in the group chat. The other tip is if you don't sleep well, read more. Because if you, if, <laughs> if you'll put, it's, it's, but it's true, really, if you'll, you'll put down your phone at night, pick up your book, give yourself 30 minutes to read. You'll sleep much better that yeah. night. I promise you that for sure. Guys, thank you so much for joining us, for carving some time out of your busy weeks. I know everybody is busy and I really appreciate you doing this. And hopefully I, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this, but I hope like, like Bill said, and like Todd said, I hope this is a resource that encourages people that are, are looking to, to learn more or read more, or just understand more about kind of what makes us all tick from different parts of the, of the planet. Um, we've got, we've got folks in four States out of the five of us here and what a, uh, a cool list. I'm really proud of it. And, uh, I'll type this up and get it shared somehow so that we can, and then, and then bill, hopefully we can add to it. Like you were talking about, man, what a, what a great thing. So thank you guys so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Everybody have a great week and, uh, read more and stay woke. Thanks for listening to Cast and Blast Florida Podcast. Thank you to Todd, Bill, Dan, and Nate for all carving some time out to get this one in the can way ahead of time. We hope you guys enjoyed it. It's not our normal format, but it's a lot of fun when we get together and do that. And we're going to try to do some more of these over the course of the year. Hope everybody has a great week. If you want to help out the show, please share this with someone. Social media, tell a friend about it. Someone you think might enjoy it. Loves outdoor books, outdoor reading. Uh, and, and thank you guys so much. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>